When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I did lose a job once that I wanted, and I, that was my least grateful moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's easy for me to leave private equity and be incredibly grateful for them because they paid so well and because they were so kind to me while I'm on a fucking airplane to Brazil with five of my friends to go start a business no, I care about. All right, here we are. Dude, two weeks is not enough with the way the world is. <laughs> Meaning it's too, sorry, it's too There's much too time. Much. There's too much to talk I can't, about. I can't wrap my head around everything that is happening, let alone have an hour and a half conversation with you. Do you want to start with stuff? Yeah, sure. Mine, I have just have a random list of things I wrote yeah. down. So I saw a stat that 67% of jobless workers get more in unemployment than they earned. Oh, man. Which means that economy's reopening, businesses are reopening, they're calling back those workers, and those workers are going, nah, I'm good. No, thanks. Yeah, I, well, I witnessed this. This was years ago in Las Vegas where there's these seasonal jobs. You know this. And mm-hmm. people would work mostly for the, the spring to end of fall. And then the winter gets very yeah, quiet. Yeah, they go in the clubs. Yep. They make bank, like more than the average yep. person makes in an entire year. Mm-hmm. And then they wouldn't have a job. And you could try to find another job. And there were opportunities for jobs in Las Vegas. It's a service town. There's tons of things. You could go bartend for some amount of money. Yes, yes. But... Everyone in the club scene knew that part of their year was just filing for unemployment, not even looking for a job. And doing nothing. Doing nothing. Just doing whatever they want with their day. And sometimes you have to fake like you're looking for a job. And I I, I don't know that anyone even followed through with that. I doubt would it. just make up a place that they were going to. So I saw this the this uh, abuse occurring at a small scale. Yeah, these people were making over six figures yeah. a year, working part of the year, mm-hmm. and then still collecting unemployment. Yes. And... I the incentives are powerful. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like you can you can control a system by structuring incentives. Mm-hmm. And I can't even begrudge anyone who goes, "Okay, so I you're telling me I could go to work 8 hours a day at this thing that I hate with no prospect for moving up or over or learning anything or I could stay home and get a check?" And by the way, a lot of people that I know have done the same. So I don't even feel this like social pressure to go in and contribute. Yeah. Also, the stock market hasn't moved. The economy doesn't seem to need productivity. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course, I'm going to stay home. So I read something interesting today. I, I'm, I've been very interested in, in economics recently. Yeah. As I watch like unemployment skyrocket. Well, it also went GDP, down a little bit, right? GDP plummeting. Yeah. And yet the stock market going up. I'm like, yeah. what's going on here? And so I was reading something which was basically making a very interesting argument for universal income, Mm -hmm. the idea that everyone should just get a check. And normally what happens is people that are labeled as socialists or communists are in favor of that. Capitalists, more conservative people are against it. Mm -hmm. This article was arguing, actually, what you could do is just get rid of Social Security, get rid of Medicaid, get rid of a lot of the stuff that our money does go to, give everybody some amount of money and go, this is enough money to live off of. We're positive. Mm-hmm. And you just get this regardless. It's not like the rich don't or the, it's just like, here it is. Now you all have enough that should cover food, rent, healthcare, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you misallocate this, 
figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually a pretty, I don't know, I haven't run the numbers, but it's a pretty interesting argument if it's true that you could lower taxes while writing checks by just getting rid of everything else and saying, to some extent, be an autonomous actor. Interesting. Choose what to do with this. So I don't, I can't make heads or tails of the act, the economic part of it because mm -hmm. I have no idea. But I've, so Sam Harris put out a tweet saying somebody should, you should read the Unabomber's manifesto. I was like, all right. So I started reading the Unabomber manifesto. Uh, and it talks Is about- Is that all Sam Harris's tweet said? Yeah, he's like- Literally no, he, just, said, he <laughs> just said, hey, I'm Sam Harris, you should read the Unabomber Manifesto. <laughs> it was something to that effect. It's a bold tweet. Uh, but it talks, and it's not just that, but there's this general idea we- I'm, I'm wondering if we're solving the right problem in a lot of the, what's happening right now, or if we've yeah. even identified the problem. So what you've, you've implicitly said is that the problem is that people don't have money. And that's part of the problem, right? People need money, but- uh, what the Unabomber says. <laughs> it's such, a, such a weird thing to say. You should have learned his name before the podcast. <laughs> Ted Kaczynski. There you go. Um, what Ted says. What Ted says, and, you know, obviously not to be taken uh, everything that Ted says was as 100%, but, and, I've, and I found this in other places and experienced it, is that if, if what he calls the, uh, like, sort of this, I forget the name, the success loop, the ability to have a goal, set a goal, struggle mm -hmm. for it, and achieve it, is a fundamental part of what it means to be a human. And technology interferes with that such to the degree that you get basically two classes. You, most people used to be able, according to him, and I disagree, to struggle to survive, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you had very little suicide, very little uh, deaths of despair, if you will. Sure, you would just die because you could. You would die because of die a war life or because yeah. life would kill you. Yeah. And, and now. Can, can I give a quick for people sure. who are saying. Oh, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. What matters more is the amount of food you have access to and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You see this when someone has five billion dollars mm -hmm. and loses four billion in the stock market and kills themselves, yes. which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, not all the time. because not the many billion times, but like consistently that will occur where people take their happiness and they use yesterday's like where they were yesterday in terms of status and wealth and women and whatever to determine how happy they are today. Yeah. Which is to say that when you were completely broke writing blog posts while sleeping on my floor, you were stoked because a blog post would get 10 readers or one book sale for, <laughs> for 10 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember we literally celebrated when we made our first $10. Yes. Whereas now, if we were to make a video... With an additional $10, yeah. Yeah. And it were to get... It'd be the worst performing video of the last two months. Mm-hmm. I would feel badly about its performance, no matter what its performance was. If we just did a bunch of videos that went viral in a row and then released an average video, it would feel like a failure, mm -hmm. right? So that's what you're talking about. It's this idea that we're not wired to actually do, to make our happiness about our circumstances mm -hmm. so much as about how we feel about ourselves and our ability to achieve and be sure. fulfilled. Sure, yeah. And I think, and he, he might frame it a bit differently, but I think that's, that's just as fair a way to put it. The idea that simply having your material needs met for you will not make you happy, satisfied with society, and nonviolent. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that, that while obviously we need to tend to material needs, and I absolutely believe that there's uh, room for some redistribution from the very, very top of people who have so much material good to the people who don't. Yeah, and I would define that as anyone who has more money than me is the top, <laughs> and then I'm the start of who should get more money, yeah, and then course. everyone less than me should also get more money. Yes. I think everyone can agree with that definition. Yes, I think that's a good one. Wherever you're at this year is the cutoff. Yeah, um, we should give some buffer for growth, too, actually. <laughs> uh, so... It's just interesting because I, I, as I see, like, what problems are we solving? I'm, I'm concerned that 
we are misframing the problems in a number of things that are going on today. We talked last week, and I, are we going to have a call with someone today? Is that happening? No, so go ahead, Justin. Yes, yeah, so... Um, we are all over the place, by the way. <laughs> we haven't finished a single thought. Go we ahead. Great. Yeah, so nobody ended up uh, leaving their contact information. Okay. But if you want to call in and you consider yourself someone who um, is Has open to conversation yeah. about the Black Lives Matter movement right now, um, especially if you're part of that community as in like a black American, um, then feel free to leave your Skype ID or even your FaceTime number if you want in the the Google Docs in the um, description. In the description, yeah. yeah. Cool. And to be clear, anybody who wants to talk about anything can put their info in. And if we think it's an interesting topic, we'll have you call in. We just got some comments on the last podcast. Yeah, super polite said. disagreement, which oh, I think great. is amazing. They're just like, hey, you're two white guys. Maybe have somebody who's mm-hmm. not a white guy come on and talk about this movement. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. So I wrote back to a couple people in the comments, but then they didn't give me their contact <laughs> information. Under, yeah. I think people, I don't know, maybe or get shy, shy or yeah. didn't see it, whatever it is. So that said, if you want in, description on you're YouTube. In. Yeah. So where were we? Uh, I think that last week we or two weeks ago, we stalk, talked about how, in my opinion, this this issue was framed around race when I thought it was more to do with economics and social socioeconomic things. Right. Like George Floyd was obviously a black person, but he was also not a wealthy person, mm-hmm. which I think if you look at police killings, you'll find that they're disproportionately black compared to the U.S. population, but even more disproportionately poor mm-hmm. compared to the U.S. population. So I see what, in my in my opinion, is a misframing of a number of things. But then I was asking myself, is poor even the correct frame for a lot of this? Is socioeconomics? Because rich people kill themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Avicii committed suicide. And you can do the whole long list of people who have done this. And you're like, oh, what if we had this welfare redistribution? Well, what if we do all that? What if we get everyone a bare minimum of things? Which, by the way, America has better than almost 70, 80% of countries in the world. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't solve this problem of dissatisfaction and anger and unrest. And I think that it's possible, if not likely, that it would. Because it's not necessarily about where is the floor because america's floor is far higher than other countries no i think that's fair i think a lot of dissatisfaction comes <laughs> with feeling like you have less than other people yes. which is to say if if you took some i mean we, we, don't, we don't know this if you took somebody from the poorest neighborhood in the u.s and you took those exact circumstances and gave them to like a caveman mm-hmm. right and be like hold on <laughs> i don't have to deal with the weather yeah i have a roof they'd be ecstatic right which isn't to say that somebody who's living in a poor neighborhood today shouldn't be upset. It's mm-hmm. just to say that your unhappiness comes from comparing yourself to expectations in other people because there were happy cavemen who were really excited when they found a flat piece of ground and they didn't have to sleep on sure. thorns. And even present day, there are people in communities that have less than the poverty line in the United States, which you have to assume and, and studies can, you know, the happiness index will show you that some of the poorest countries are towards the top, right? Mm-hmm. I lived in Costa Rica. It is much poorer than than we were i i lived with a host family and not that i had a great time we ate meat once every two weeks it was rice and beans every single day we mm-hmm. didn't have a hot shower i didn't have a hot shower while i was there yeah. which is crazy in america but it was just normal yeah. for for everyone there yeah yeah um, no and i think for a lot of and a lot of people if you said listen you're literally just going to eat 30 cents of rice and 30 cents mm-hmm. of beans three meals a day every day in the u.s they'd immediately be unhappy about it because mm-hmm. they on because most of them have access to internet or television. And they see people eating steak. Whereas in Costa Rica, it's like 
yeah, I eat this, my neighbor eats this, my best friend eats this, it's all good. So the question is, what is the problem? And I don't know that we've actually gotten to the problem in all of this. Clearly there's a problem. And I would say you can see it because people are marching in the streets, dissatisfied, angry at one another. And I'm not convinced, and I would love if someone disagrees, that it comes down to either police brutality, uh, and we could talk about why, but I think you disagree with me, so it would kind of, or agree with me, so it would be kind of silly for us to go mm -hmm. back and forth, or uh, race issues at its core. If you go to the core, I think you can find that more fundamental than that are socioeconomic issues, and even more fundamental than that, as I think about it, is the idea that material goods, uh, comparative to your neighbor, is what constitutes a good life. Mm. Um, and so I had a handful of questions that I wanted to ask because I don't know that I've gotten all the way to the root. Yeah, I'm but I think that's a good. I think that's a good invitation. So if anybody disagrees mm -hmm. with that, mm -hmm. please come on. Please our come YouTube on. channel for the podcast in the description for this episode, it'll have a place where you can put your information in. And I say that in a weird way because some of our listeners are on Spotify yeah. and the apps. Like it's not going to be in the description there. But if you find this on YouTube, go to the description. There'll be a place where you can put in and just say, hey, I disagree with Charlie. I don't think it has to do with that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about it. I would love to. Uh, so one way to frame the problem, I, I do think the materialist core is a problem. And I want to make clear, there's a basic level of material needs that, sh that as a society, we should come together to provide for people. Yeah, for instance, Flint, Michigan hasn't had clean water in the clean water way, is <laughs> way too long. Yeah. It is uh, absolutely absurd that that has occurred. Mm -hmm. And like that is something that I think people need Yes, at a fundamental level. It's the mm -hmm. ability to drink water. Yes. So, oh, but, speaking of which, uh, hey, this uh, this Monday, we're releasing a video. Is it this Monday, right? Yeah. We're releasing a video with our new charity under fun charity water fundraiser for this year. Mm -hmm. You can go to charitywater.org slash charisma, and you can donate to help people who don't have access to clean water. Mm -hmm. And it's life-changing. And for $30, you give one person clean water for 10 years. Yep. Which is dope. We did 10,000 people last year. I have mm -hmm. some pictures. It's awesome. And if you don't have $30, but you give $3, <laughs> 10 of you will combine to give one person. Seriously, any amount helps. Yeah. And yeah, these are people who I think could really actually use a lot of help just to get mm -hmm. up to basic ability to survive, to not mm -hmm. have to walk miles for water or drink water that they know is going to give them diseases, but their alternative is to die of dehydration. So mm -hmm. they just drink this water that they know is filthy. Yeah. So yeah, you can, if, if that's something that touches you, charitywater.org slash charisma. Yep. So uh, there's a handful of things that I have. I wanted to, the problem can be framed in a number of ways. So let's look at pro police brutality. I, it's often, I think one of the fundamental issues is that we're dividing into camps of like police and protesters. And if you go on a site like Reddit, it's clear that that's the division because all of the videos over and over and over again are police brutality, police brutality, police brutality. I think that any problem that says there is a group or a person who is not me that regularly engages in a behavior that I don't engage in is probably missing something, right? Mm -hmm. So a problem should be one that is universalized such that if you had the gun and the badge and the thing that it would also fix that with you. Meaning, I think the problem of police brutality comes down to accountability. I think that unless you are someone who is like Marcus Aurelius, who comes along once in God knows how often, when you get power, you protect yourself and the people who you associate with. Mm -hmm. uh, and you... And when you say oversight, what you mean is the police police themselves. Yes. So when the police commit a crime 
or a murder or whatever it might be, then the people in charge of punishing the police and investigating the police are the police. Or have allegiances that are very close to yeah. the police. Right? And that's the issue, right? And so like any, your, your argument is that any body that exists like that over time will corrupt itself. If there's no accountability, and this is part of the genius of the American system, is that there's these checks and balances and mm -hmm. that it is a power struggle. Because if, because if there was any one branch of government or any one person that were able to attain all of the power, it's in, it's unless you're Marcus Aurelius. And by the way, look at the emperors to the left and right of him on the timeline. Yeah. I think there were five good ones in a row, they say. Uh, it corrupts. It absolutely corrupts. So... I think that's the problem we've talked about. Okay, so how do you solve the issue of accountability? Not only for police officers, and I think body cams are a good way, but I do have a concern that there is a tremendous amount of money flowing into organizations like Black Lives Matter, and I don't know what sort of accountability measures they have in place to ensure that that is spent effectively well to solve a particular problem. Yeah, and so what you're, what you're saying is basically identify a problem. Police brutality, mm -hmm. police killings, and a lack of punishment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Real problem. Solution. Police should have an outside organization that's independent, that is in charge of making sure that they do the right thing and punishing them when they don't do the right thing. Cool. If that is what you think, which is what I think most people think, then that should be true of every organization, basically. Mm -hmm. That any organization with power should have an independent organization in charge of making sure that they use that power ethically. Yeah, and I don't know that it's that specific, but I think the question is, that I ask myself and that we can talk about is, in what ways do I have power that I'm not accountable? So for instance, like uh, the way that the US law is set up as a business owner, and I don't know if this is appropriate, I have a tremendous amount of power over my business. Like mm -hmm. I can tell someone what to do, and if they don't do it, I can fire them, you know? Uh, so I wanted to ask you, do you think that that applies and should we ask ourselves, should our workers have more power over us? Mm -hmm. Should there be a check there? Should there be a check from our audience over us? Now, clearly, there's some ways in that they can influence. They can vote with their dollars. They can do other things. But that doesn't mean that power still can't be concentrated mm -hmm. into a few hands, which are easily corruptible because they are human. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and a, with a public organization, that's the ostensible reason yeah. for a board of directors is that they're in charge of looking out for their stockholders, which isn't to say their customers, right? So it's a weird dynamic because let's say that you produce a good. The board of directors isn't looking out for the people buying that good. They're looking out for the people that bought equity in your company. Mm -hmm. But that's why they do that at a public level. At a small level, it's hard because you have to compensate your board of directors. Mm -hmm. I won't name any names, but like I have friends that are really good at business that I absolutely mm -hmm. would love to have our board of directors they're multimillionaires. They don't want to volunteer to be mm -hmm. on our board or even take 1% equity to be mm -hmm. on our board. And when Pfizer has a board, that's what they do. They just go, here's 1% equity and they got, or 0.1% equity. It was cool. This is a lot of money. I'll be your advisor. Mm -hmm. So that's what they do at a public level. And the question is, since you can't do that at a small scale, what could you potentially so do? So this is what I was thinking. And this might be too small because it's not necessarily financially tied, but um, could still have an impact on someone like me or you or small business owner is... Uh, I try to behave in such a way that people could tell me things, but if I look at the amount of criticism that I dish out constructively to my employees versus the amount that comes up to me, it definitely flows more in the direction of me yeah, to yeah, them yeah. than them to me. Um, and so, okay, I, what I could do is, okay, everybody, it's totally cool to tell me, which does nothing because well, there's this power dynamic. You want to know, is I like, used to work at a place that um, some of the bosses were jerks. Yeah, yeah. And what we would do is they had HR. So the way, the way it would work is there's like higher ups in the chain and then it goes down. I'll try to be nonspecific yeah, so yeah, people yeah. can't guess. But uh, 
there's a, an outside organization within the company called HR. They do not get told what to do by the people that are in charge of us. Mm -hmm. And then twice a year, I think it was, there'd be anonymous 360 reviews, which yep. meant that when we were receiving, so every day we got some feedback, hey, you fucked this up, right? But there'd also be formal feedback that would affect your bonus. They would get anonymous feedback from us as well, mm -hmm. which would actually impact their, their either their bonuses or their ability to stay with the company. And it was more less impactful when you're at the highest level, but there mm -hmm. was a mid-level people. And like you couldn't get to be the highest person if everyone under you yeah, yeah. hated you. Yeah. Um, so that's the way that you get around it. Because yeah, no, hey, give me some feedback. Also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it really pissing me off. I'll fire you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. But HR was unfireable by these people. Yeah. Now there's a CEO, a CEO at the top of this that can do whatever. Like no one gets mm -hmm. to review the CEO of that company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if the partners don't like him, they tell HR. Yeah. HR tells him, he goes, oh, I control all of you. Yeah. So they still had that problem. Um, but so that's I, I, are there examples of, uh, I mean, I gave you Marcus Arroyo, so I think he's a good example. When you at genuinely have an uncorruptible person Yeah, at the he's top, such a freak, though. For people who don't know Marcus Arroyo, most powerful man on the planet yeah. the time he was alive. And he was he was the emperor of a Rome. third of yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. And extremely moral, held himself to Didn't a cheat on his wife. high standard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, in a world like, where everyone else is just <laughs> rampaging, pillaging having sex with random barbarians because they're less than human they're barbarians marcus Aurelius was meditating he would go home and write on the ways in which he failed you yeah. know at the end of the day and like self-reflect and was his own harshest critic but i think one ways. i think it's anyone who says i'll just be marcus aurelius i think is fooling themselves yes. because there's one of him in, yeah. in the history of rome i think so are there examples of organizations run successfully for any long period of time i think there are by potentially one person because i think that um well, I think that you, you can have, have a solid, a solid enough human, not a Marcus well, Aurelius, but a decent person. Sometimes you truly just have a like. Sometimes money's not your biggest motivator, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say Patagonia got started by a guy who just yep. liked to rock climb. Yep. I don't know if he's in charge now. If they're a big public company now, things probably aren't looking good for them. But when he was in charge, it's like, oh, you could source this material cheaper, and he went, well, yeah, but it'll rip on the rocks. Mm -hmm. He just didn't. He's just like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to. I care about rock climbing, and I care about nature, and I really don't care about mm -hmm. the cost of goods it just don't bother me with that so when he was in charge that just was his priorities you know what i mean but if it's an organization that persists past one particular oh, as person soon as he's gone they're done this dude. this is the thing with google that people have been critical of which is like i don't know if it's true but this is the sentiment around google is that it was don't be evil at the beginning and oh we're not going to do this we're you know we're going to grow away but once you got sergey larry and eric kind of you know moved out and it became an organization that was that was headed the incentives align in such a way as soon as that you go public yeah as, seriously as soon as you go public you have to act like a public company you just lose the ability you have to i see what you're saying so you have to have that board of directors because the incentives are such that they will push you in if such you, a way to earn no profit. the board of directors will tell you to this is what i'm saying patagonia goes public the ceo is still on like i don't care about profit the genes have to handle rocks yeah he gets a board of directors yeah legally because their job is to make sure he has a fiduciary responsibility to his shareholders, yep. which is just code for make them the most money possible. And then the COO complains that the CEO is hurting margins because he cares about... He's out. He's done. So here's my question. Previously, we'd said, oh, public company... Now, if he's the founder, he might he might stick around for a little bit. Okay, so what? how do, how do you ensure that an organization does not become corrupted? Because we just said, oh, the, the value of a public company is that there's these external 
checks. No, I said that's how they check the CEO. Not that it's the perfect system. Yes, Just yeah. the board of directors make sure that CEO. A private company, though, we established, while it could be easily corrupted because there's one person at the top, is also the more most, immune yes, from, totally. the most from ethical profit company, pressures. The most ethical company is definitely a private company. Interesting. But perhaps also the least ethical. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's true. No, no, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. It's like a barbell because now yeah. if you're if you're a public company, you're just going to act like every public company. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a private company, you can act special. And special yeah. can mean really shitty or it can mean excellently. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think this, these are the interesting questions that I don't have the answer to, which is if, if I would suggest that if the proposal is as basic as cops are bad or protesters are bad or this is bad, that is, that is not an approach that works because it's not systemic and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't apply evenly to, to several different ways in which humans organize and uh, accept that those ways have predictable outcomes which need to be treated on a systemic level, yeah. not on a like, no, our current cops are bad in America because of our particular history and this. It's like, no, any group of people that is assembled and has power over a group that they feel is separate to them will in time separate from them and abuse that power yeah, yeah. in certain ways. Well, we also have an interesting, it's interesting because a lot of people that are making what I think are fair complaints, like mm -hmm. there's no police oversight from an outside organization. Mm -hmm. It's easy to become a police officer. If you look at the Navy SEALs, it's extremely hard and they do psych evals and there's this multi-year training process. Yeah. And I think all that's true. And also, I'm not saying the Navy SEALs do what I'm just about to talk about. But there are soldiers that rape people. Mm -hmm. There are soldiers that go to other countries, have their years of training, have their court-martial threat. You know what I mean? Get out there un unsupervised into a group of 20 people yeah. and start doing bad shit. So I think those are fair complaints about police. But I'm also I'm a little bit confused when we then they're like yeah they're not like the military mm -hmm. it's like well the the military is not always like the military in mm -hmm. the way you're describing it like mm -hmm. there's people commit war crimes mm -hmm. and most soldiers are great i'm not trying to bag on the military but it's just saying even with court martials and even with years of training when you have unlimited power over a group or when of a people, large group of people in any group of large assembly of humans yes small yeah. pockets of the military small individual groups within it Start to do bad shit. Yeah. I don't know. This is, I kind of have to, I have to frame this a little bit smaller because it's such a big issue, which is what is the question? How do we get people to be kinder to one another? Yeah, yeah. Is oh, the I, was question. Saying, I was just saying, I've seen online people are saying, like, we got, like, the national, and I love this. I, I think this is fair. Like, the National Guard has these training, and this is, and this is why, like, the police are killing innocent yeah. people. I'm like, wait, you think soldiers have never killed innocent yeah, yeah, yeah. people? That's your, that's your thesis? Mm hmm. So yeah, I don't, there's no takeaway to that. It's just to say, like, it's hard to maintain control of every individual when you give them a ton of power. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I did MDMA on, on <laughs> Monday. <laughs> and the answer is love, guys. The answer um, is love. Therapeutic setting, all that stuff. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure through all these problems afterwards because I come back into the world as it is, mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm looking, and it seems to me that a almost fundamental, if not fundamental, problem is that there is a lack of connection, which mm -hmm. is you do not have to convince your right hand in most cases to not chop off your left hand because there is a connective system there such that 
you are one. Like mm -hmm. I, I, it is it is rare that people hurt themselves, and they only hurt themselves when they feel fragmented on inside, right? When mm -hmm. they feel that their past is evil, and they, they therefore that they deserve it, right? So then they've split. Uh, cops feel one, united with cops, and therefore serve their best interests sometimes, right? You get that blue shield so they don't, nobody rats or talks about perhaps bad behavior. So the problem in all of these cases, it appears to be, is a lack of connection. And one of the things that I did read, which I don't know if it's true, is I think it was in Camden when they switched to a county police and they had more interactions with people, mm -hmm. the problems went down because there's that greater connection and you're not gonna rough, rough up someone that you care about, right? Mm -hmm. So, the question that I would ask of like, what are all the pro proposed solutions at a fundamental level is, does this increase or decrease connection between groups mm. and people and yourself and other people? Uh, and if the answer is yes, it seems like it's a good thing. And if the answer is no, despite what behavioral changes you may get, if, the found if I am right and the foundational issue is that people who are not connected to one another will eventually turn on, hurt one another, and even if you can lock them in chains and keep your eye on them, you're not solving the problem. Um, and so that that's kind of how I've been thinking about different proposals. Does this increase connection yeah, yeah. or decrease connection? And that connection has to be on an interpersonal level, like mm -hmm. on a real person-to-person -person level. Because mm -hmm. I've seen people, I mean, this is a little bit of hyperbole, but I've seen people talk about how Jeff Bezos is the devil while yeah. opening an Amazon pack. They're like, <laughs> I can't believe, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, why did you order from Amazon? You literally put money in his pocket. And yeah. go, well, I love Amazon. It's like, so you love what he made. You use it all the time. You prefer it to everything else anyone else has ever made. Mm -hmm. And you still hate the human, right? And I think to some extent, you if you think of connection in terms of like making people do things that benefit each other, that doesn't solve the problem. What you need is people to feel like they like yep. the other person. Well, and you. So I would even pause you. And this is the MDMA talking. It's connection is when you feel someone else. Like yeah. I feel this. I, it is one. When I this hurts, I hurt. You know what I mean? But like, I was just listening. He's poking his hand. <laughs> I'm poking my hand. Uh, when someone you love is hurt you hurt you yeah. know when and and if you're truly deeply connected their joy is your joy now there might be a separation there which makes that hard to, to yeah, tap that's a great into point. when someone you love passes away it hurts you and you cry and yes. when someone has the exact same circumstances of their death but you see it on the news you don't and care. so when i look at the world okay how come i can have an iphone that is built potentially on the backs of slave labor in africa and near slave labor in china and this isn't a problem for me it's yeah, yeah. because i am completely disconnected from that versus if my dog whimpers because somebody steps near him and scares him i'm like whoa <laughs> you don't step too close to yeah, him <laughs> dude respect his respect personal face. His face um and so okay and then the questions from a systemic level is how do you foster connection how yeah, yeah. do how do you enable that and quite frankly mdma is an amazing way to do it uh i don't know that it's the only way and i'm not saying everybody should get out there and do it but I do think it's, um, and I don't want to talk too much about my personal experience because it was super fucking personal, uh, but people are fragmented on the inside. I am fragmented on the inside. There's parts of my subconscious that every time that I'm like, oh shit, didn't realize that you've been there for 30 years um, that I am separate from yeah, such yeah. that my behavior and the way that I feel is disconnected. Is there a, a concrete example that you're willing oh, to share? That I'm willing or? to give today? Let me think. Um... 
What is a concrete example? Okay, I'll give you one broadly speaking. Sure, because I just think sometimes it can be yeah, hard yeah, for I people who have yeah, never yeah. done MDMA. I'll, go, I'll eventually get into this. Oh, my subcon. Like, what yeah. does that mean? There's a part of you so, you've been out of touch with okay, for I'll 30 give you, years. So a part, broadly speaking, that I found that I was out of touch with is uh, things that have happened when I was very young. I did not recognize that two things were occurring inside of me. One, those things were extremely hurtful to me, extremely painful, caused enormous amounts of pain. But two, there's another part of me that was like, you little bitch. <laughs> like, mm. you are such a baby. Like, that, no, that's not real. And the part that won over the course of my life is the part that said, no, that's not real. Like, you know, you didn't, you don't actually feel bad about that. Like, that that didn't really upset you that much. Because it's impossible that that could have upset you. Yeah. Such that that part of me does not feel what this other part of me feels. And so you go into MDMA and what my experience was is these parts, this part tried to kill this part. Like the part, it was like, no, you didn't feel that. Sorry, you, the part of you that's like, yo, you ain't no bitch. Yes. Tried to kill the part tried of you Tried to that murder, strangle the hurt part of me. Because it. it's like, no, you are weak. We cannot have this. You mm. need to, like, you need to be expelled. And, Very Spartan. Yes. Oh, it was totally Spartan. Which, by the way, we love our Spartans. You know, 300, super cool, no pain, you know, throw out the weak. I mean, that that is a... um. Yeah, we idolize that, at least yes. in the U.S. Yes, and I, I, you know, clearly have lived like that. Yeah. In some ways, I'm a, I'm a total wimp and I admit it in other ways. Um, but yeah, so that disconnection inside of me necessitates that when I go into the world and I see someone suffering from something that that part of me thinks is weak, it then judges them. But the fundamental rift is not from me to them. It's from myself to myself, mm -hmm. such that how do you solve connection in the world? Well, if I can't connect with that person in the world, you can tell me, hey, Charlie, you have to go say, oh, sorry, man, I feel you. Or like, no, like, I, I get it. This is what a good friend would do, but I'm not feeling them if I can't feel that part of myself. So I don't know how to do it. I don't know whether you drop it in everyone's water or what. That definitely won't work. You did MDMA with a therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken MDMA in water. It does not result in a lot of introspection. Fair enough. Um, but it seems to me that any problem that starts from a connect with oneself is likely in the long run to have extremely positive ripple effects in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but it moves slower. Like I didn't legislate anything over the weekend. And in mm -hmm. fact, what I experienced was so much conflict. There was this, this whole weekend for me, the part of the reason I don't want to talk about it is because... I'm not done. Like mm -hmm. what I what I encountered was, holy shit, you're so much more fragmented than you thought. Mm. And like I tried to blow past it in my MDMA experience. I was like, no, 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 let's get to the love and the unity. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, unity, unity. And mm -hmm. I wasn't conscious of the division, I would say. So do you think you can supplement <clears throat> this with other things like psilocybin or ketamine? Yeah, 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 or do you yeah, think 100%. that it's got, it's got to be like MDMA over and over? No, again? no, no, no. I think you supplement it with life. I mean, so several times ago, I got my dog, you know, mm -hmm. like, which is... Uh, an imperfect connection that I was not ready to form prior to having taken ayahuasca and yeah, was yeah. ready to take after ayahuasca and has, and you've seen my behavior towards him shift after different experiences yeah, that yeah. I've had. Um, so no, it, not just MDMA, emotional mastery, which I just finished needs a couple of things. I was, uh, I, I had two feelings. I was one very proud because I'm like, shit, this is, it's good stuff. And I found myself using some of the techniques in inside of mda and the other thought was 
MDMA is the steroids. Yeah, <laughs> like emotional mastery is really good. You think? Yeah, but, I guess you're you do that. I would say ayahuasca <laughs> is the steroids too. Now you got to be careful with ayahuasca because it can mm-hmm. go bad. I would say the nice thing about MDMA is is that it is ever. I've only done it twice. It is about you. Like you are getting concrete Charlie Hooper life experience stuff. And mm-hmm. sometimes on ayahuasca, you can get. I am the wind. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. You're like it. It, it is a. Uh, you know, you're seeing these visuals and it doesn't always, you can walk away going, what the heck does this mean for me, human Charlie? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my spiritual take on the protest. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, here's another thing that came from it that I think that sort of ties it back though. So, I, I definitely walked out realizing to the degree to which philosophy and politics are completely influenced by your own personal psychology. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, man, me getting involved in in politics or even in philosophical discussions which purport to be totally objective is so is almost silly because this is just a reflection of my own personal psychology which is riddled with its own unintegrated traumas and life experiences and upsets. Ooh, I disagree with you a little bit because uh-huh. I would say everybody does have their own thing, mm-hmm. but you're tweaky around the truth, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like some people just have different things they're yeah, tweaky yeah, yeah. about or unreasonable about, and you're quote unquote unreasonable about the truth, which is to say you don't care if it hurts you or it hurts other people or whatever. You want to get to what's real, which I actually think makes you very good at arguing philosophy. Well, I'll give you an example. I, even what you just said is how I saw myself. And what I experienced on MDMA was, was like, you don't want the truth. You you have cut yourself in half in order to say that this is the truth and deny this. So like even sure, my philosophy yourself, around for, that. I don't know. For external circumstances, you just not like some people are tied to a political party. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do whatever cognitive distance I have to do to make sure that the Democrats are right or the Republicans are right. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you take all sides depending on the issue or whatever it is like and you'll do stuff that you don't dude you want to eat red meat mm-hmm. i know you want to eat steak yeah. but you don't so i think that that's i can tell you that's influenced by my own personal psychology and the things that i experience on this is like why do you try so hard to do the right thing listen like, what i'm saying you're <laughs> fucked up you're fucked up for trying to do the right thing which i think makes you a decent person to listen to for arguments of philosophy sure but my definition of right is influenced by my psychological interpretation of right as opposed to like for for some people right is what feels the best sure sure for some people right is following the rules and for me it's like principled rules that's what i yes put on the but all humans are imperfect Mm -hmm. so your option is learn from no one yeah or learn from your best case imperfect teacher Mm -hmm. and i think for you if your thing is going to be uh principled thinking Mm -hmm. and doing what's right even if it's hard that makes you a good person to listen to for philosophical questions sure. and moral questions. Okay, so you're saying better than better than worst Dude, case scenario. The, well, no, here's the option. <laughs> Either I listen. So I have a question, right? Yeah. Where I'm a podcast listener and I have something in my life going on. My options are go to no one except for my own self. By the way, I'm also imperfect. Mm-hmm. Or try to find the best person to learn from while acknowledging that they're imperfect. And I think people might miss that sure. last part. Okay. I've been guilty of that, idolizing people and then realizing that they're not perfect. But okay, my options are stick with my own imperfect self or try to aggregate people I respect who I think I can learn from despite their imperfections. And I think specifically for philosophy and politics, you're very well equipped to be someone that people learn from. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying, yeah. And I, and I think there are fundamental assumptions that 
we all bring to any conversation, mm-hmm. even philosophy, which tries to get to the bedrock. Uh, so if you're talking about ethics, you know, the fundamental question of left to their own devices, are people good or bad? Mm-hmm. That, is, that is going to be heavily, heavily influenced by your own personal experience. So I agree with what you're saying in that you, we're all people, we're all imperfect. It's good to get feedback from people who are Yeah, I think it's good to different. learn yeah. from other people, yes. which means you're going to learn from imperfect people. Mm-hmm. So given that, sure, you're imperfect, but I think still very sound. Top tier for people I've met in terms of philosophical moral advice. Well, or maybe, and I'm not saying that I necessarily believe this, maybe I've just been very good at convincing you of that. Because one of the things that I sort of experience, and I don't know how to put it into words, is that I treat, and I think philosophy separates the world into these cold syllogisms you know mm-hmm. a then b b then c it therefore a then c and it says that this is something that can be done that you can reduce things to cold hard logic and part of you know the nba experience which is a drug induced state but it i did have a sense of like attempting to pre- pretending that you can remove emotion from anything is a lie mm-hmm. as a human being such that even some of these like foundational philosophical beliefs of how you should logic and should all this other thing are often denying the fact that the people employing logic are emotionally motivated and if and it makes sense then why people would have such different opinions when they both take in core logic classes and have access to the same statistics and all of these things because what they're not accounting for is the different emotional experience that they're layering over all of this logic and then convincing themselves is not actually there. Um, and so that was kind of what I realized is uh, this is almost too basic, but when it comes to talking to people, when it comes to persuasion, when it comes to all of these things, to pretend that a philosophical argument is sufficient and is actually what you're expressing is A, not true because you're layering your emotion and B, is not going to be influential to the person because they are their emotion is wrapped up in the way that they perceive the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I think we agree in the sense, yes, people are imperfect, talk to different people, you know, it'll help you to get a wider view of things. But also for me, I just, I do believe that my philosophy and my politics will change as my own personal psychology does mm-hmm. as well, such that I might turn, turn on a dime in tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Sure. Um, but yeah, one of one of the fundamental questions in that we've talked about this is, who counts as not people? I think if you talk to any individual, they they have always a group that is not people, and we're familiar with some of these. We we know what a white supremacist is because black people are not people to the white supremacist. But as I hear people speak about what's going on today, they always have a group of not people. Jeff Bezos can be your not people. Mm-hmm. Billionaires can be your not people. Cops can be your not people. Looters can be your not people. Pedophiles are very popular not people to a lot of people. Uh, you go on Reddit and you see, you know, this guy got sentenced to jail for heinous acts. String him up, cut him into pee. You know, it's just like he's a not people. Uh, not saying that these things ought to be forgiven, but that your own life experience dictates who your own particular not people are. Uh, and what I was like, I was like, oh man, if I go through this and I do this the whole way, everyone is going to be a people and maybe everything, you know, mm-hmm. this is like the, the, well, you can still, you can still <laughs> say that an act is bad while it's being done by a person. I think the judge sure. for Ted Bundy, I think it was, did yeah. this very well, which is to say you are brilliant, charismatic, and it is tragic 
mm-hmm. that you were born with a brain that makes you do these things. Mm-hmm. And I have to sentence you to death for that. Yep. But he wasn't angry. He wasn't like, you're a monster. You're yeah, not yeah. human. He's like, it is a shame that someone so charming and so smart was born so broken yeah. with this impulse. And that's a true tragedy, I think is what he said. Yeah. And they said, because of that, you have to die. Not because you're less than human, but because just you'll keep taking lives. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can do that with pedophiles, totally. serial killers, and whoever else. And they can still be human. You know yes. what I mean? While, while you say that their behavior is deplorable. Yes. Yes. Uh, 100% right. That, that this doesn't preclude necessarily a death sentence. It doesn't preclude capitalism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't preclude uh, unfairness or even in some cases... Well, I wonder to the degree to which violence would be, it would be greatly reduced, I imagine, in this world. But you can't control everybody. So let's say you're judge of the world and these bad things happen, Ted Bundy, horrible pedophilia. You might land on a similar sentence to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But the way in which you arrive there will not be by saying, he's done. He's he's, he's excommunicated from this this group of things that have value or I care about. and I just see that when I listen to people talk, eventually they will reveal they're not people. And not people are often, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans, they're, they have only bad intentions. They're only evil. They only care about themselves. It's, it's like this inner, their inner evil is completely projected onto some other group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, to me, seems to be a fundamental problem with every almost every conversation and solution that i've seen around what's happening yeah, today. yeah no and it's it's actually pretty interesting i would say a good rule of thumb is if you ever hear yourself being critical of someone else mm-hmm. ask if that can be applied to you yeah, yeah so there's a lot of people i know who live totally middle class lives they're not rich but they're definitely not broke and they go that person is selfish and they should give away x amount of money mm-hmm. and you go okay well how much are you donating on a regular basis? You know, and that's not, it's not a gotcha. It's yeah, not yeah. to say, ha ha, your argument's invalid. He doesn't have to do anything. It's literally to say, if you think that's true, do you think there's someone in India living off of substantially less money than you made this month? Yep. Who is literally sitting there thinking that random middle-class American is evil in yep. the exact same way yeah, that yeah. you think this billionaire <laughs> is evil. The answer is yes, by the way. Like, there is someone that thinks that you're crazy for keeping what you have. And so potentially, if you think that this person should give it up, you should sit down and think about how much can you give up, you know? Yeah. You know, what's what's interesting about that is uh, coming back to the connection thing, I've sensed in myself and realized that what you and I have done, which is totally reasonable, is we, we have that exercise. We're judgmental of somebody. And they go, oh, crap. I am not doing that thing. Mm-hmm. And then we change our behavior. Mm-hmm. And then we give. And what it allows it, me to do, I won't speak for you, is remain judgmental of that person who isn't giving. And I think a step that was missing for me is that pause and understanding of that person. Be like, mm-hmm. I get why it's hard to give. I get it. I get why you don't want to give away your billions of dollars. I get why you are taking advantage. Like, I feel that in myself. And then... I will change myself. But what I was skipping was I was blowing right past it towards the action of like, ah, I donated, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You suck. Well, funny <laughs> I'm enough, awesome. My donating doesn't really, it's funny. It's not It's not as much crazy empathy driven as it is veil of ignorance driven, mm-hmm. which is to say, I'm just like, all right, well, if somebody made as much money as, so Charlie and I, we, the, we gave $100,000 to Charity Water, yeah. right? 
And so my thought is, yeah, if somebody was in my position, yeah. they should give $50,000 to people who don't have water. Sure. It's just like what should be done. But when I was writing the check, I, I wish I was one of those people who like had tears in my eyes. <laughs> I was like picturing the thousands of people having water and like, you know, Skyping with a guy who's at our well. And he, I was just like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Sure. And so I just wrote it and was like, this is, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this. My, I think our morality, because we often have these talks, is so head-driven. Mm -hmm. It's so... Well, mine is literally veil of ignorance. Yes. That's like my go-to. I use other things too, but it's kind of like, all right, well, if you didn't know who you were. The veil of ignorance is a fantastic tool for behavior to compensate for a lack of connection yeah yeah that's what it is that's it's, what i you know what i mean and it's like look i can't feel connected to you i feel like i'm supposed to but i don't <laughs> so let me use john ross by the way did you explain this I, oh i don't like, know i might just say it so john ross veil of ignorance is essentially what kind of world would you want to set up if you knew that you could be born into any part of it mm -hmm. and you had whatever statistical odds of being into any part yeah, of it you so don't you, know if you're going to be yeah you don't know when you wake up if you're going to be jeff bezos or a cop or a black person in an inner or city. Or someone with horrible disability. Or someone in yeah. India. Yeah. <laughs> you just have no idea who you are. Yeah, yeah. And given that, what kind of world would you want to set up? Yeah. And what the suggestion is, is that you will raise the floor on that kind of world. And you, in, in order to do so, you might lower the ceiling. Like that's, yeah, totally. That's, and yeah. I don't even do this perfectly, by the way. If mm -hmm. I actually thought we were going to re-roll the dice, I would, I would <laughs> give, give a lot more money. More, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't do this perfectly. But yeah, yeah, what it does, for me at least, as you just go, okay, well, if I didn't know who I was going to be, yeah, I'm going to, you said it, raise the floor. I'm going to yeah. go to these people in India, in Africa, and whatever, where, where I might just wake up and be in a village that doesn't have clean water. Mm -hmm. Okay, if that's the case, I'm going to try to get everybody clean water. I'm going to make sure that yeah. there's not a circumstance that anyone where I could not have clean water. Dice yeah, yeah. Into. yeah. And so here's the question. So we presupposed, coming back to our earlier point, that what you would do, veil of ignorance, is uh, give everybody a material standard of living right water etc makes total sense i watched an interview with mr beast the other day mm -hmm. who said that he with a smile on his face he said i'm never content i am never satisfied i am never i never feel like as soon as the video is done it's just like on to the next mm -hmm. one and I you know you, that, mr beast yeah and then he I talked that at a and so level. he's right now he's probably got he's got certainly 20 million subs or more he's uh had an impact on a lot of people he's got tons of money people all like him if you were to veil of ignorance, and I, I couldn't tell you, he would certainly consciously say that he's not suffering. And in fact, I think one of the one of the problems with first world society is that we call things first world problems in order to dismiss the emotional impact that they have on us. Hmm. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced from an experiential standpoint that there isn't someone in a poor community that has a happier life than oh, there, Mr. Beast. There definitely is. There, so now, this it is might, the, now, it might not be necessarily someone who has no access to clean water. Yes, but yes. if you go one step up, like, yeah, yeah. oh, there's some Costa Rican kid that only eats rice and beans, that has a really shitty surfboard, but yep. lives on the beach in the sun with mm -hmm. his friends, who loves his parents, who is absolutely killing mm -hmm. happiness relative to Mr. Beast, or even probably us. Yeah. And so my question is then, have we just gotten it wrong? We're trying to level out material goods. Maybe Mr. Beast is the one that needs help you know what i mean like maybe the community needs to rally around him and go are you okay or are you and i don't i don't mean to pick on him i'll pick on myself hey you guys with your videos and your you know are you okay <laughs> like do you need us to come together and give you a hug or something like yeah, what's yeah. going on with this pursuit of growth what are you talking about man i read every <laughs> comment about my last video so so i uh I get it, guys. You don't like what I said about Toph. Thanks. Message received, <laughs> received, guys. What happened with Toph? Oh, so I, I actually still disagree a little bit, but there's I made this Avatar video about learning, 
And in one of the things I said, find a teacher who's willing to change their style okay. to match with you. And Toph is a very just like yell at you. The yeah, kind of yeah, coach yeah. I like for MMA. Yeah. Like, you suck. I'm like, yeah, I do. Mm, yeah, yeah. And Ang's very playful. And at the end, she compliments him and then he does something well. And I was mm. like, see that? He, his response was to her doing well. And I got blown up by avid Avatar fans saying that that's not true. Ang had to adjust. You're picking the... I was like, all right. Like, even after reading your comment... No, Ang, Ang did have to adjust. Yeah. I, I disagree. I think his biggest breakthrough came the moment that she finally said something nice to him for oh, the first time interesting i rewatched it like i still stand by my point. sorry guys like i took your feedback i watched it obviously i'm biased because i said it before but like i didn't just watch the clip i did watch the whole scene and the, his biggest breakthrough comes after she says you're ready you can do this yeah, yeah and then yeah. she calls him twinkle toes and people are like see she's still me and i'm like no that's a term of endearment yeah it's callback humor to what she said before i love that you guys this is <laughs> there's on some of the a song of ice and fire game of thrones message boards there are these historical debates mm -hmm. because because it goes even deeper than avatar does into lore and actually this general was in this place and there was no way he could have made it here like trying to find out where yeah, off-screen yeah. characters are at any given time i love that i got really wrapped into it and i was like is this is this worse than learning European history? I'm not convinced. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I think it might be just as just Well, the as argument useful. would be if you learn real history, history repeats itself. Right? So if you had, instead of reading A Song mm -hmm. of Ice and Fire, if you had studied the Great Depression, sure. you might be well equipped for what's coming. Yeah. A Great Depression. Yeah, yeah. Or not. Who knows? Maybe the Fed will save us. Uh, let me see if I had anything. I got else. one. Speaking yeah. of, it ties very closely to all this. So I'm going to get my facts right, pull up my notes. So a 20-year-old kid was was uh, investing with the Robinhood app and they mm -hmm. let you sell options. No one should ever sell options. Uh, obviously, I'm being facetious, but whatever. He lost $700,000 and then killed himself. Wow. At 20 years old. And so I have a couple takeaways. One is obviously like the 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 FOMO of the market. The, this people I do this too. People see people making so much money now and they want to get in and they want to make money. They see people becoming millionaires overnight. And they make bets that they can't lose. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And at the end of the day, the market, especially not, not, right now. To, I'll clarify. Not that they won't lose. That if they lost, yeah, it would so ruin their life. That they can't handle yeah. losing. But their bets, the market is crazy right now. And maybe it's always been crazy. But the, no one has any idea what's happening. The fundamentals are gone. There's Fed intervention like never before, blah, blah, blah. But which is all to say, in the attempt to make money that they don't need, people are losing massive amounts of money that they can't afford to lose and this kid killed himself at 20 years old mm -hmm. which is just like a huge shame um and yeah i think it kind of ties into what we we're saying before if people think that they need millions to be happy or that the millions will make them happy and this, this kid had like a good life was a, was in school learning to finance just got caught up in fomo and gambling and then or maybe didn't you know this is uh, the other th it's like all of the people that I know that are obsessed with money are unhappy. Now, that's not to say all of the rich people that I know are yeah. unhappy. It's the people that are obsessed with money. The other thing that I see, because there's a distinction between rich and obsessed with money. You can get rich by playing a sport that you love. You can get rich yeah, yeah. by uh, contributing to people on a massive scale. But... This idea of making money where it's, it's as far as people know, contributing nothing to society. This is the second point I was going to make. Ha, uh, this, this idea of market FOMO, which I, I have too. Like I've, I'm in cash. Yeah. Just hanging out. Missed this huge rally. And I'm like, oh, I could have made so much money. Mm. But 
just i should just focus on helping more people or making videos people like yeah, coming yeah. up with a new course or creating a second business that helps people like people don't think about wealth creation in terms of value generation yeah they think about it in terms of dollars they have yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah it's cheesy as hell but just help people <laughs> find you and at first you might not be able to charge for helping people which was our experience we just mm -hmm. had to try our best to prove that we could and then we were able to scale it scale it scale it but yeah and it's easy it's easy to get tied into dollars and what steps one can take to maximize dollars and unfortunately nowadays there's a lot of ways to get lots of dollars without help people. helping people yeah uh, and um, there's ways, you know, if you jump into a lake to save a drowning child, there's no money for that. You don't, you don't get paid. Like this, there's a myth of capitalism that value creation is dead tied with uh, money, right? That the value that you create for society will be compensated. And mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just not true. And I think what we need to do is recognize that those aren't the same things. Create institutions which try to tie those together. But fundamentally... I do. I also think that people have. I know this is true of myself. Have lost connection with th how good it can feel to help, right? So like I, I was doing. I did a bunch of calls with people just because they were students, and it was a random helpful thing that I did. They were fun by mm. and large. You know what I mean? It was. It felt good to do it. I didn't get paid any extra money for it. Uh, but I guess why? Why is it so tempting to make money? This is what I, I perhaps is a dumb question, but I think because. What we actually really want is just the respect and admiration of the people around us. Mm -hmm. And that's the scorecard that U.S. society uses most Got of it. the time. I think, I think if you lived in a society where money bought you the same amount of goods, mm -hmm. right? But everyone who knew that you had over $100,000 was going to think you were disgusting mm -hmm. because of the value of the society was just that that's gross. And actually what they thought was deserving of respect was get charitable actions or whatever. Yeah you'd see a massive shift in how people behaved. And I think some people might chase money, but I think what people, people are lauded in the US, you know, or at least they were until recently. So what people are looking for, and this, this feels right, is validation. And what? Yeah. And validation, what? Res just the respect mm -hmm. and admiration of mm -hmm. the people around them, I would say. Got it. And what they have learned to tie to that based on their upbringing and commercials. It's true, dude. Someone, someone we know sells a business for $5 million. Mm -hmm. They're going to get 100 texts congratulating yeah. them. There's like a little blurb on Business Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that people can know about it. Oh, my God, dude. Congratulations. That's so crazy. Wow. Five mil. Woo. Yeah, yeah. If that person was volunteering at a soup kitchen every weekend, no one would say anything. Maybe mm -hmm. one person would find out and be like, oh, wow. That's, that's really cool. But there wouldn't be a blurb about it. You yeah, know? yeah. There wouldn't be. And even if they posted on Facebook a photo of it, they wouldn't get the same amount of texts mm -hmm. from people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously, the validation doesn't even work. <laughs> in terms of making i mean as someone who has received a fair share it's just it doesn't you think it will hit you way harder and matter far more than it does that's not to say that the first time that somebody says nice to you when you're pursuing your art doesn't mean a ton mm -hmm. it does like that first time that somebody appreciates a video or something you wrote or something you painted or a piece of music is like it, it'll make your it'll make you swell up mm -hmm. but before pretty quickly it 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 becomes nothing and i think that i sometimes forget that and i don't yeah, yeah. i don't recognize that i guess other people fall into the same trap do you have more stuff uh yeah it's not related to that though uh so one thing we had we've been taking writer applicants just people to try to help me i took over writing the charisma command videos for you 
quickly found out it's more work than I want to do. So now I'm just trying to get people in to help me research or help me write. So this one guy didn't get the job and he wrote me an email and it had the subject line gratitude. Yeah. And then it was just told, it was just, Hey, I really appreciated learning from you. I feel like it was great. Like it, he wasn't, he was just so kind. And immediately one, I was like, I like this guy. Whereas when I was actually working with him, I had no real opinion of him. If this guy hit me up now, I was like, Hey, I'm in LA. You want to yeah, get lunch? Yeah, yeah. Like, yes. And it's hundred percent because of that email. And two, if he wanted a reference, yeah, without even trying, I would immediately go searching. I, w- I was just aware. I was like, I'll immediately go search for the good stuff I can say about yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. And so I just thought that was awesome and mm-hmm. something people should learn from and I should learn from. It's like he it was just yeah, it was it was perfect. It's mm-hmm. just about appreciating the experience. And it made me like him a lot more and, and be willing to do more for him. Yeah. Well, here's the the fundamental question is obviously one can use that as a technique you know say that you're thankful how do you do you uh, how do you feel that gratitude mm. if, you, you know how do know. you not feel bitter about not, not getting the job, job. Yeah. yeah yeah i don't know could ask him or yeah you, you can tell me the truth man are you just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting there fuming and writing the dale carnegie email that you think is the right email to write which is understandable and reasonable I, I have thoughts on it and ideas, but I'm I'm curious if I don't know. For me, for me with my jobs, I was able to be grateful because I felt like I was going on to something better. Like I never really, yeah. Actually, I did lose a job once that I wanted, and I, that was my least grateful moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's easy for me to leave private equity and be incredibly grateful for them because they paid so well and because they were so kind to me. While I'm on a fucking airplane to Brazil with five of my friends to go start a business no, I care about. Yeah. So what's interesting is that you were, the feeling of gratitude almost comes from being the belief that life is just great, you know, and it's yeah. almost independent of what happened before that. Like, was that job amazing? No, but like, you're like, but look where I am. How could yeah. I, how could I be upset about you? And so it's almost like realizing that you were unharmed by the loss of that thing and life is, remains amazing is what creates that gratitude thing interesting um here's a random thing i watched a video that was a this is going to be a small spoiler uh if you haven't seen knives out oh okay so you could just skip past this if you want it was a video of the director breaking down a scene in knives out and he said one thing this is how you can know who isn't the murderer in any sort of in any sort of really yeah there's one thing that you can do if you see someone holding an apple product they did not do it because apple will not let bad guys have apple products in movies that's so cool and i assume you can extrapolate that to several other brands as well because if i think about it I know that in Transformers, Chevrolet was all of the Autobots, but I don't know that the Decepticons had any related car company. Yeah. They were just Chevrolet generic. Chevrolet or Audi? Uh, well, Bumblebee was a Chevrolet, right? I don't know. Um, point being that, well, I think it's just interesting that, okay, if you see anyone using a name brand thing, that means that they're a good guy. But two, that all of the media we consume has uh, this underlying substructure that it's telling like yeah this is a story about murder mystery but really this is a story about products yeah. and what kind of people use products and the same thing is true if the u.s military is ever involved in a movie they get final sign off on it so this this could be about 
one man's journey to kill the whoever or how Osama bin Laden was taken out. But really, the story is that the U.S. military is a hero, yeah. <laughs> and these people are X Y Z amazing traits. Well, and that one's particularly interesting because I guess the the military, <laughs> if you are going to if you're going make to them use look their good. stuff if you're going to make them look yeah. good they'll let you use their equipment yes but if you're going to make them look bad they won't and, and so you are associated with the studio so it's not just like oh i'm going to make one critical movie it's like no we're never going to work with your studio again that's it so you get to make your one well, also the, edgy just the, independent just the film. budget of your film would skyrocket because you would have to figure get out how to get tanks <laughs> and uniforms and this and that but if you just bring the military in you go hey we're going to make you look good yeah like all right um, you can rent our stuff now. And so it reminded me, there was this guy who, who used to write, and sadly stopped, the last psychiatrist, mm. who wrote how there's, whenever you're watching something, it's not what you think. Mm. So he, he gives this one example of an Audi commercial with this beautiful woman, and she's in the rain, and she steps into the Audi, and this, and he says, you think you're being sold an Audi, and because you think you're smart, you think that, you're right, Justin? Oh, yeah, my phone almost just fell. Oh, so I saw you freaking <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I wasn't, like, seizing up. A hornet just stinged Justin. <laughs> I thought it was static electricity from his computer. <laughs> just shocked him. Does, uh, if Justin has a seizure, are we just supposed to carry on? Just, what is our, <laughs> Justin, what do you want us to do? Just plow forward for the audience? Yeah, keep going. Keep okay. going. People are paying for this. <laughs> Depends on the quality of the episode. Really. <laughs> so Do it for the patrons. <laughs> the this woman gets into the audi and 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 because you think that you're a smart consumer you think this is for an audi and you guard yourself and you go i know that that's just selling an audi and audi's just like bmw and i'm not a i'm not a dumb guy what you don't realize is that 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 commercial is selling you macy's that commercial is selling you what the woman looks like because Mm. what you took for granted is that that is what a beautiful woman looks like they didn't have to tell you that was a beautiful woman but she had a certain color of lipstick she had a certain thing she had a particular way of walking such that all of the commercials out there are reinforcing one another. They don't just tell you to want their product. They tell you how to want. This is the standard of this model is in here. This is a desirable person is the, you know, if that model is in there in a not uh, obviously critical way. Hmm. Uh, so it, it tells you far more about how they're constructing your worldview and oftentimes these are fundamental ideas like masculinity is a big one that comes through sexuality is a big one that comes through and you think that you're just fighting the product but you're but really you're being sold in a whole idea of viewing yourself the world men and women all of that kind of stuff and it just reminded me of that i was like oh my god she had an apple she had an iphone yeah yeah, <laughs> she, yeah. she couldn't she, have done it she couldn't have done it um so that was a random thing let me see if i have anything else I don't know if this is interesting to you, but I was listening to Sam Harris's podcast, and he said that compared to, I think, 30, 40 years ago, one of the ways that you used to know the wealthy class like 50 years ago was you would ask, who works the least? (laughs) And you would find this leisure class of aristocratic wealthy people that didn't work. Uh, And today, if you want to know who the richest people you are, are, you ask, who works the most? Hmm. Uh, because there's been a complete inversion of the amount of hours worked such that the wealthiest people now work insane mm-hmm. amounts of hours. Uh, and he asked this question, is it capital or labor that is driving inequality? Uh, is it the fact that I own Charisma On Command that earns me the money? Or is it, in, or is it my skills, which I could bring elsewhere, put in a ton of work, and then get that money back? And so that has fundamental 
implications because if you think that capital is what's driving inequality, all you have to do is redistribute the capital. You know what I mean? It's like inequality is solved. Like we'll all start from the thing. But if you believe that it's certain skills, labor, etc., as soon as you redistribute the capital, it's just going to coalesce again mm-hmm. into the hands of people who, for whatever reason, are have the right skills, work incredibly hard, etc. Um, sure, high IQ. High IQ. And so this is the other thing is why I think if we don't nail down what the problem is in society and we think that it's there's an uneven distribution of capital and we go, oh, well, if that's the problem, this is easy to solve. We'll just redistribute some of the capital. Well, that actually might not be the problem. Mm. The problem might be that people are receiving through, you know, uh, through accidents of birth, different levels of intelligence, through accidents of who teased them when they were little, different levels of I'm going to slave away to earn this much stuff. And also the idea that underpins all of this, which is having a ton of money is a good thing. Yeah, I think I feel like a huge problem, a huge part of the problem is the consumerism. Yeah. It's like the fact that people could have a car, a phone, the ability to eat three meals a day, Mm -hmm. a roof and be unhappy. What drives Jeff Bezos? I mean, is he happy? I don't know. I I really think I will tell you and I don't mean to pick on him. I've read and watched interviews with Elon Musk Mm. and he is rightly idolized for his intellect and well i don't know that one should idolize intellect i'll even pause there i won't i won't even say that what i think is the coolest thing about him is that he's trying to solve big problems so that's great he also broke down and cried in his interview with neil strauss because he was so sad and lonely yeah yeah and, no i'm just saying you're saying he's idolized for his intellect i don't think that's true i think he's i think there's a lot of smart people I with think the he's world idolized for his outlandish goals with the world this is my question and i don't mean to pick on him at all would the world be better or worse if we had way more Elon Musk's? Meaning, would would that make people net happier? Well, or? I don't know. My friend is my friend had a great quote, which is he said, "I'm so happy the world has Elon Musk, and I'm so happy I'm not Elon Musk." Mm-hmm. Which is his view was that it's going to be great to have the hyperloop. And is it? That's my question. Yeah, fundamentally, know. is like, does traveling more places faster make you happy? We probably seem probably we, depends we, what you use it for. Like if you hyperlooped LA to where I'm from, that'd be awesome because I could see my parents more. What if you couldn't leave your hometown and you'd never left your parents? Yeah, yeah. I said this. <laughs> I said this. So I got, I had a little bit of an obsession with dating. And I've also said, I wonder if I would have been just as happy if I yeah. just said, okay, I'll never leave home and yeah. I'll just marry someone that was born five miles from me. So obviously we think of the Hyperloop as a good thing and the solar powered car as a good thing. And I'm not, I don't mean to criticize them at all. I just am raising the question of, do those things contribute to simply our material good and our GDP, or do they make people happier? And I don't actually even just want our conscious answers. I think a survey of this would not get to the core problem because yeah, yeah. people say, oh yeah, I want more money. Like people are wrong about what makes well, them yeah, happy. Well yeah, this is an interesting thing. So what, <laughs> why is that? So I, if I'm from a neighborhood and everyone in my neighborhood has a relatively similar amount of wealth, mm-hmm. right? But I've seen on television that there are some humans on the planet that have a lot more than me. Why does that make me so upset? Well, there's a number of ways to look at it, I think. One way is to look at your evolutionary roots and recognize that you would never have encountered more than 150 people. And your survival was literally on the line if you couldn't get material needs met. So if you saw someone, one, that meant they were in your area, (laughs) like what they were doing was imminently achievable, uh, for you, or could have been, uh, 
And two, your life might have been on the line if you didn't have that material good that they mm. had, right? If you didn't have the nice hut that could withstand a storm or whatever. So it might have been an adaptive feature to survive and make sense. And by the way, inequality, <coughs> inequality. Sorry. you know, there was the chief at the top and I imagine some, somebody with a disability at the bottom, but it was not the, the same gulf that mm -hmm. you would encounter. Uh, so it might have just been a feature for a time when there was less inequality more ability to cross that divide, and it was dependent upon your survival, which has then been ported to a world where it is no longer influ will influence your survival. Uh, the inequality is becoming Jeff Bezos is hard, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I don't I don't know that that is the answer, but it's mm. it's certainly possible that the this is this is Ted Kaczynski's the Unabomber's thing is that the, what drives the problem is that we evolved into a world that was not as technologically advanced as the one that we live in, and our ways of being cannot handle technology and technology is on a constant growth mm. path forward which will just make people happy and then i assume he gets to a point where we got to tear it all down and all that kind of stuff but i didn't get that far mm. uh so don't know that i believe that but it's yeah it's certainly the case that people just run after things that make them unhappy that i fall into that category as well so I don't really know what to do about it. <laughs> All right, cool. Fan questions? <laughs> Fan questions. Um, so the first one is, uh, this would be great to have your perspective on. I remember one principle that improved my confidence. You cannot change people. You can only filter them. This works as a long-term strategy, but in isolated social interactions, I do not have a framework for responding to people that are rude to me. These things go through my mind. Number one, respond with a harsh insult back. Number two, respond playfully, but insult them back. <laughs> number three, call them out on their behavior, which I think is a bit patronizing. Or number four, just ignore and filter them out in future interactions. Ultimately, I end up saying nothing or just laughing it off. Part of the reason is I'm still afraid of confrontation, but the other part is not knowing how to respond and handle any secondary effects of my response. What is a calibrated way to respond when someone insults you in a social setting? I wish that he had said what kind of insult yeah. or her. I, w I, wish th I wish I knew what kind of insult and in what social setting because that would what are what are the differences in your mind if someone i don't know well at all says something rude to me in a bar or a club i'm not gonna yeah i'm just gonna be like okay <laughs> you're dead to me i'm just gonna walk away and live my life because i to get in a shouting match with that person to even waste my time trying to call that person out to change their behavior is a disservice to myself yeah. i should just be like all right what's gonna make me happy not talking to this person if a very close friend of mine, or let's say even the significant other of a close friend of mine, right? So someone like inextricably tied to my social circle, but who I might not necessarily like myself was to do something. What I'd probably do is just like chill in the moment so as not to make a scene and then pull the person aside and call them out because I don't want to have to deal with that all the time. Because again, I'm just looking out for my own happiness mm -hmm. and I want them to know that I will call it out in the future, but I can't filter them out because they're my really good friends girlfriend and they're going to be around or whatever it is yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. my behavior is going to change depending on the specifics and how but, much you're likely to see that person again it sounds like yeah i'm not one to like oh you well, first of all like i don't most people don't just randomly shout insults at me i don't know what this person's community is like but i don't i can go a whole day without being insulted <laughs> <laughs> to my face at least Unless if i don't read the comments, comments. <laughs> um but yeah no so like i my frame is like what's going to make me happiest in the long run you know what mm -hmm. i mean and so that's what i try to use and so if it's someone i can just avoid for the rest of my life with no consequences i don't even bother making a fuss just go 
see you never. And then if it's someone who I am going to consistently have an issue with, right? Like my sister's fiance is awesome, but let's say that he was someone I butted heads with. I'd have to address that because I'm yeah. going to see him at every family gathering. So it's not a bad question to ask yourself, I think, is which of these is going to make me happiest in the long run? And because I think it's a very particular question because you also mentioned that you're a person who fears conflict. I was just going to say, happiest after you get over your fear of confrontation. Uh -huh. That's a huge one because a lot of people in the short run, sorry to cut you off, are going to be so they're going to say, well, happiest is just to never have a confrontation. I'll just yeah, will, yeah. I'll get bullied. I'll shy. Like I get so uncomfortable with the concept of calling someone out. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like you have to conquer that first so you can come from a place of all these options are equally doable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and also I was even similar to what you had said was going to go. It might make me happy to get past this fear of confrontation. That was mm -hmm. the way I was even thinking about it. So like, OK, if I was past this, I would just ignore it. But because I'm not. I'm going to practice this because mm -hmm. that's going to make me just generally feel more comfortable in situations better about myself like I'm not so concerned with mm -hmm. this. So what I do and what you do shouldn't necessarily be the same given where we are starting from. That's I would, an awesome point. Yeah. That's a great point. I think that the first time someone stands <laughs> up to anyone could do so much good for them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I will say for me. I will probably go the ignore route almost every time unless it is a habitual thing with someone that what you know is is in my life um, but for you it could be a really excellent thing to talk to them afterwards but what I would say is you you had a handful of suggestions insult them back etc if it's upsetting to you I don't think that's gonna make you happy to hit them back or like stop this you know or even with a sly underdig uh, unless you're a different person, it sounds like, who is enjoying the good-natured ribbing between friends, in which case, oh, this does make me happy. Like, you know, like if you were to watch the Fighter and the Kid podcast. Yeah, weirdly where enough, they just, they just if their the insult actually hurts you, yeah. then the answer is not to insult back. Yeah. If, the if their insult makes you laugh, then the answer is to make a joke back. Yes. So it's highly dependent on the context. I think a great question to orient yourself is which of these is going to make me happiest in the long run? And that'll, I think, steer you well. Cool. Next question is, uh, hey guys, question for the podcast. I'm getting lots of value from it. Um, in some of your videos, you have talked about non-reactivity, which is that the person who reacts the least, quote unquote, wins the interaction. I was curious about your general thoughts on this concept when it is appropriate. For example, at work when you are talking with your boss versus your peers or out socially and any exercises and mindsets that may help one less get less reactive. Sure. I'm asking in the context of dealing with people at work that I'm perceiving as aggressive, but also am interested in the concept in general. The one concern I have is that if you're too non-reactive, you may come off as dismissive and rude. Yeah. So Do you think that the person who reacts less wins? No, no. I, I, feel, I feel like I don't, I don't know that I agree with what I'm purported to have said. So I, I, I'm trying to think. The non-reactivity, for instance, was in Don Draper, where he is calm in the face of uh, rejection from clients and... And they say something and he goes, well, it sounds like this meeting's over. Have a great day, gentlemen. And then there's other occasions where he's a little bit off his game and he goes, you know what? You, you're not going to come in and do this. And he, and he is visibly upset by it. So I think in the context of uh, a power dynamic, I think it is the case often that he, you see the big lion just kind of sit there while the little cub like smashes yeah, yeah, his it's, face. It's and in then the face of an attack. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I'd say, I would never purport that non-reactivity is better than positive emotions. Sure. So we should start there. Yeah, like yeah. the most charismatic people I know laugh very loudly. 
They're very playful. They make a lot of jokes. I do not think that extreme stoic stone-facedness is the key to a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, non-reactivity is specifically in the face of attack where you feel your heartbeat elevate and your adrenaline spike mm-hmm. because almost always you make a bad decision when you are under the influence of fight or flight. Additionally, you're signaling to that person. I mean, you can imagine if you're in a second grade classroom and someone walks up to you and tells you, you're, you're stinky. You know, you're, you're going to like laugh, laugh and yeah. find you're it. You're stupid. Ad- you're going to find like, it adorable. Okay, you're seven. Because that doesn't land in, in the yeah. same way versus the signal of when somebody says it is, oh, wow, this, this is true and I, I need to be upset by it or defend it, which isn't necessarily the case. You can be upset at something without it being true, which is why non-reactivity is a, a signal that a lot of people want to adopt because they don't want to be signaling that something is true about them, a particular insult when it is in fact false. Mm-hmm. So, But also I think it just generally hurts your decision making to be Yes. So when you're in fight or flight, immediate reaction, heartbeat elevated, you're going to make bad decisions. So in the context of aggression in the workplace, I do think going slower, taking a deep breath is going to benefit you tremendously. So if you're facing workplace aggression uh, and it's looking like you're, you know, what you're and your concern is that it, what was it that is coming off as as dismissive and rude? But in the face of aggression. In the face of aggression. I don't think that that is likely to be the case. Now, I'm not asking you to stand there stone-faced, but I am saying, you know, you could, you could take a moment to compose yourself and then speak not in the same tone of voice. Like if they're coming at you big and you go, well, what I was saying is that, you know, and you come back a little bit more slowly, a little bit more measured. Uh, that, I think, is 100% appropriate. So Ben's point. Not, not, not when you're having fun. When yeah. you're having fun, super reactivity. No, what but you... can I give that anecdote from my work? Mm-hmm. So my my friend is uh, from. Yeah, my yeah. friend is from. We've told the story before. My friend is from. Uh, I think it was Russia or somewhere in that region, and he has a boss, and the boss is constantly giving people a hard time, and he's fine. He's he never has a bad reaction to it. And then one time, the boss, he they're talking about doing an investment deal, and the boss says, "Don't be a pussy." And that is a huge insult to my friend based on where he's from. So I would say the reactive response is to shout, don't you ever blah, 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 blah. And the the non-reactive, I want to give a concrete example. The non-reactive response was my friend stopped. He didn't say anything. He looked at the guy, held eye contact. There was a pause. He said, where I'm from, that word is a massive insult. Don't ever say that to me again. And then he just let it hang. And he never got said that. <laughs> and seriously, and it's like, and there was an age gap. The person yeah. who said it was the boss. Like, nothing was in this guy's favor to be listened mm-hmm. to. Nothing. But because he handled it calmly and strongly instead of freaking out, he got his message across much more and didn't get in trouble versus mm-hmm. if you can imagine if he just starts freaking out and swearing at the boss. Like, mm-hmm. consequences for you, my friend. Yeah. So that that's what we mean by non-reactive. It's yeah. not to say it's weak or that you ignore it, but it's to say that you you handle it from a centered, grounded place. Yeah. And uh, there are, I want to caveat this, because with everything that we're saying, there's there's situations in which the rule might not oh, of course. hold in the same way. So if, where somebody's being like super, super emotional, there are times where you got to, you got to like, all right, you know, and I hold the phone, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you got to, you got to put things, uh, you got to, you have to come in bigger and to to settle things. Generally speaking, I do feel comfortable saying, take your time, 
take a deep breath. Uh, it's going to settle you actually internally a little bit more so that you are genuinely non-reactive and then speak from a place of uh, the most calmness you can muster yeah. in that moment. I actually say even in the example you gave where I think, yeah, sure, it's okay to shout, hold on, hold on, or time out, time out. I can't think of an example I ever where I ever was glad that I yelled. Yeah. I can only think of examples where I regret speaking with so much with so much heat, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So even once you get the attention, in my entire life I'm blanking on a time where I wish I'd gone harder at someone or yelled with more anger. Yeah. Versus fair. It almost just calm. it almost just hurts your, your case. Yeah, versus hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But then you take the deep breath because yeah. you have attention, right? It's like mm -hmm. the Kevin Hart. Yeah, that's how he tells stories. Like you get everyone's attention, but then you stop because you have the attention, mm -hmm. and then you come from centered, calm strength. Mm -hmm. That's I'm blanking on a time that I've ever wished I'd been angrier. Yeah, when I told someone something. Fair enough. Good point. Mo asks, "What do you think of rational emotive behavior therapy and the difference between disturbed negative emotion like em like embarrassment, guilt, fear, anger, and anxiety?" and non-disturbed negative emotion like disappointment, displeasure, annoyance, and concern. It helped me a lot to understand that not all negative emotions are bad and that some are justified. I'm just curious to know what you think about REBT exercises. I don't know REBT. Yeah, this Do is you? totally, no, no. I was gonna say, I've, I've never heard these terms before. So you know, this is, uh, what I can answer, the the idea of justified emotions is a is a very loaded term. And I think one that I want to split into two terms. There's there's how you behave yourself socially, right? So I'm furious because somebody said something to me in the office, but I'm going to compose myself and I'm not going to speak with that tone. But there's then there's also whatever arose in me. Every single emotion, despite the way that we conventionally speak, requires no justification. Mm. It requires no justification. The idea that, and I've said this, is like, I can't be angry at that because... That's bullshit. <laughs> like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm angry. I am. Angry <laughs> I am angry. What are at the that. off limits ones? What are the bad ones? The bad emotions. Um, probably. So he just the heated ones, right? Yeah, he just kind of sort of distinguishes the two. I don't think that they're saying um, that one is like worse than the other. They're just saying that there's non-disturbed negative emotions like disappointment, displeasure, annoyance, mm -hmm. and concern, and then disturbed negative emotions, which they say is embarrassment, guilt, fear, anger, and anxiety. Well, it sounded like he was bucketing them negatively because then he said it was Bad. nice to know that yeah. I can, I'm can. i entitled to feel some negative emotions, yeah. which made so, me seem like that the others were off limits in his mind. The point, Am I right? Is that? That's the way that I heard it. Whether or not he meant it, I don't know. But the, the, the idea of justification I, I feel strongly about, which is the way that one behaves socially, we've been socialized. There are certain behaviors which are acceptable and unacceptable in a social scenario, and that changes based on your culture, who you're with, et cetera. Yeah. Fine, right? We teach a lot of this in Charisma on Command. These are, these are the acceptable social ways to behave. That does not mean that the emotion that you felt was unjustified ever in any way. I don't care if you wanted to rip the person's head off because they looked at you the wrong way. Justified. doesn't, Or better said, doesn't require justification. Yeah. Uh, and if you think that emotions do require justification, what you will do is have an emotion rise. It will not pass the threshold for justification. It will enter into your subconscious and it will steer you such that that anger will become passive aggressiveness or uh, just forgetfulness. Oh, oh, sorry, I forgot to invite you, didn't you? <laughs> you know, like, mm. uh, that such that what this means is that, okay, you're out, 
Somebody says something, pisses you off, infuriates you. You respond calmly. What I have started doing and I encourage people to do is like come home and uh, clean that out. You know, at some point you like let it come up, feel that frustration and that anger. If you need to scream into a pillow, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Or, you know, I used to bang the, the roof of my car when I was driving if I was pissed. Um, without a lot of traffic <laughs> and never at a stoplight because people would think that I was fucking insane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all uh, emotions don't require justification. You have far more emotions and so does everybody. I don't care. The most stoic, cool David Goggins, Jocko Willink guy has, has the same spectrum of emotional experience as we all do. They have for the purposes of accomplishing particular goals learned to shut some of them down, which mm. is incredibly useful to the accomplishment of those goals, but I think detrimental to, if they don't eventually experience them, to the quality of their life. So I'm not, I don't mean to say that Jocko or David doesn't eventually do that, um, but that's my take. Any thoughts? No, I think you said it well. Cool. Next one is, I'm quite exclusionary when it comes to people I choose to spend time with, both friends or potential girlfriends. For instance, I wouldn't date a person who is into astrology as I believe it indicates a lack of rationality, accountability, and critical thinking, even intelligence to be blunt. I know these are the core qualities that I want in a person for a relationship and lack of them would cause a lot of daily frustrations and headaches. On a more underlying level, I lose a lot of respect for the person when I find out, when I find out they believe in astrology. Same as if I find the person has a tendency to screw someone over or that her previous partners are people I dislike or don't respect, so I cross them out. While I do have friends whose opinions I value and whom I respect, it's obvious to me that I'm way more exclusive than people in my surroundings, resulting in a smaller social circle. Even though I've learned a lot from Charisma on Command and crushed job interviews or interactions in which I want to display charisma, yeah. I believe standard in all areas of life are I believe standards in all areas of life are beneficial, but my question is how to know if I'm going overboard with removing people from my life or blocking them from entering it at all. So far, I see the size of my social social circle as a result of my bad luck early in life, meeting the types of people I'm not aligned with as a conscious adult or just growing apart from people, and also due to my lack of pursuing new acquaintances and friends actively. Another way to look at what I'm asking is how do you evaluate your own rationality? Mm-hmm. 85% chance this guy marries an astrologist. I was going to say the same <laughs> thing. I was like, wait for it. All of this repressed, like, I can't handle that because I can't handle that in myself. You, I, I, I've seen it in Ben. I've seen it in me. You were going to fall so hard for a girl who loves tarot and astrology. Maybe not. 85% chance. <laughs> um, so I, I have thoughts, but if you want to start. I mean, yeah, my answer is always the same, which is how do you feel How do you feel about your circumstances? There's yeah. nothing inherently better about having 100 friends versus having 10 friends versus having one friend. Mm -hmm. So if you're happy, if you're like, I look around and when I compare myself for some reason to other people, their friend group is larger than mine, what should I do? It's like, are you unhappy because of your lack of friends? Because if not, mm -hmm. keep doing your thing. Now, in anything, if your behavior is getting you results and circumstances that you're unhappy with, then I think it's time to assess changing the behavior. Yeah. So if you are jealous or feel left out or just want to play basketball, but you have two friends and you need 10 friends to play basketball, then I think I would argue you'd be better off to change the standards with which you judge people, which is to say, maybe when it comes to asking someone about philosophy and morality, you have a prejudice against astrologists, but you can still play basketball with one. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have... Uh, 
more friends than you currently have or you feel like you're missing out on activities, nuance your standards. Does that make sense? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just solve for being happy. So I don't know. You didn't mention that you hate your small friend group, just that you feel like it's small. It's not inherently a bad thing. Yeah, I, I agree mostly with with that. The The things that had come to my mind was first what you said, which is you have a surf friend, you have a dinner friend, mm-hmm. you have a video game friend, and if you had shook these people up and they fell into different slots, you'd be pretty unhappy. Oh, yeah. It'd be terrible. <laughs> you'd be like, be no, <laughs> no. You're not my dinner friend. What are you doing here? Uh, so, yeah, d- different friends for different things. Yeah. And, and in my understanding i will say that if somebody has a pattern of hurting people near them it's tough to keep them at far enough distance from hurting you yes so that is one thing yes. so if, if somebody is betrays or lies that will happen to you yep. in in the frequency with which you are close to them so that has been one for me that is uh not even out of judgment as much as self-preservation mm-hmm. i've had to be like you're going to screw me as soon as you can so yeah. i just have to limit the no, amount there's of... there's definitely universal behaviors yeah, yeah. that personally i find off putting like being rude to waiters or what mm-hmm. have you and if you're someone that was my surf friend but then we go to dinner and i find out you're like a huge dick to people maybe yeah. i don't want to surf with you because i'm just turned off by your behavior yeah but also you do not have to be a genius to be my friend if you make mm-hmm. me laugh you get to do everything where i want to have friends that make me laugh regardless of your belief in astrology or philosophy sure. or theism and so the the real question you'd mentioned it you'd find it irritating is just to sit down and be like is it genuinely like so irritating that i can't handle astrology or do i think that it's so irritating that i that i couldn't handle it i for one don't subscribe to the astrological signs i weirdly enough i'm very attracted to and i guess not weirdly enough i'm attracted to people who like that stuff i like that they live their life not with the rational chains that I find myself in so often. There's something appealing. And I would say that I've learned a lot from those people, though it's not about my star sign. It's about a different way of being that doesn't require everything. And even your question was was a brick of a question. Sometimes it can which be I appreciate nice, that. which Thank is you. great, Please, which is fantastic. More details. I don't more mean details. I don't mean to be critical of it. So but helpful. it's it's indicative of the way that you are and that you think. And for me, as someone who would write a question of similar length, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been nice to be around people who wouldn't, who, would, who approach things differently, even if the specifics of what they believe sometimes sure. are crazy. And me. also, you don't have to. But you don't have if to. All of your friends are scientists yeah. and you love physicists and you genuinely find that you don't share that desire that Charlie has to hang out with the, your opposite, do your thing only hang out with physicists like it really does you're not hurting anyone it sounds like when you filter people off i assume you're not a jerk about it so it's it truly is just about creating the circumstances that are going to make you happy yeah so i'll give you an answer that is uh it follows what we've said a little bit try to go with your gut on this one which right so you want the rational answer of who counts and who doesn't and under what circumstances i think for you actually what might be interesting is just to sit down because your gut is how you feel yeah like who do I do I actually want to be around this person or this person or am I holding myself back? And if you and if you go with a more intuitive feeling about it, I'm not saying that every decision you make will be perfect, but you'll at least be trying to steer yourself based on the way that you feel and not some sort of rational concept of what your friend group ought to look like mm-hmm. in size or diversity of of background. Yeah, and just to reiterate something, I think having high standards <laughs> is super important and great, but you can have nuanced standards for different people in different parts of your life. Yeah. And I have, I have a small group, ultimately, as well. And Ben's is a little bit bigger than mine. 
and that's great. <laughs> Can we cut just that part? We said Ben's is a little bit bigger than mine. Let's start this podcast with that. Not really. All right. How would you guys suggest dealing with someone who makes attempts to undermine you at work or questions many of your decisions? Every I'm day, a- I deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 30-year-old male in a leadership position at my job, and I don't know how to run things in a way that people listen to me without it devolving into a dictatorship. Oh, dude. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, you're trying to make me laugh, and I literally blacked out what the first part of the question was. Uh, so they say, how would you suggest dealing with someone who makes attempts to undermine you at work or questions many of your decisions? Got it. And it's a boss? It's a superior that's doing it? Yeah, it's a 30-year-old male in a leadership position. They're a boss? Yeah. Who's undermining them? Uh, one of their... Subordinates. Yeah. Subordinates. Someone under... Subordinate uh-huh. is like, I don't Subordinate know if we should do that. Below them in the order yes, chart. Yes. trying to undermine Is them. asking what this person feels are perhaps inappropriate questions. They're going, well, should we really be doing that? Or this, that, and the other thing. What would make a question inappropriate? Uh, I could imagine someone, and you could think of people who we might have gone to school with or something that were just like okay can you we're doing this now like please stop questioning if we're going to do this they ask like a dumb question but then when you give them a smart answer well, they're not satisfied by perhaps it perhaps they're asking the question from a desire to be heard as opposed to like provide useful direction and feedback because they need to be seen as significant do you have an example from our life that you can say no no i'm not thinking of anybody in particular uh but that well, I mean, I guess there's two options. One, maybe you're a dictator. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe well, you're not fielding I, questions. I tend to like questions from people. I mean, a lot of what happens is people ask questions, and then you give answers, and then people are persuaded to your side. But I think that the I don't have a problem with the question being asked. So I'm trying to understand. The I think a helpful frame a. here is to ask what, in your opinion, and Tony Robbins's six needs can come in really useful when you're a, when you're a team leader. What are they trying to accomplish with these questions? And I'll just run you through some of the needs. Certainty. So like a person asking a question of certainty will be like, um, will this work? Or like, is this going to keep my job safe? Or is like, are we going to get more money from this? Or is this definitely? Yeah, what if this doesn't work? What are we going to yeah. do if this fails? Uncertainty, which is like, is this going to be new and exciting and different? Like, what, didn't we do that last time? You know, they just want to like be different. Significance, which is likely the case, I will say, which is any sort of question which calls attention to their own intelligence or their own importance to the team. Uh, and then fourth would be love and connection, which is they just want to feel close to you by speaking <laughs> and asking questions. And unlikely is that, oh, it's though possible, it would be contribution. Uh, and what's the last one? Growth. Growth. Um, it's likely that it's one of the first four ones. So Contribution would be amazing, though. This guy's yeah. just some profit-hungry monster, and they're like, but what about our customers? Stop undermining me. <laughs> and so the question to ask yourself is, okay, given that they have this need and that I find that the question is an unacceptable way for them to satisfy this need can i meet the need that they have and it's likely to either be certainty or significance in another way so if it's a certainty driven person what can you do to make like what what do they need certainty of that this is going to work this is going to this the other thing okay can you set up some sort of system or structure to like make clear to the team members that there's a chart in the background we're on schedule things are working like that they can look to and feel safe if it's significance can you pull this person aside and uh, say, hey, you know, you seem totally engaged in this. I love it. It's amazing. Would you be interested in uh, this other, in an additional role, which is very important, <laughs> and, you know, and, and like, you know, we, we would need you. you very busy. Yeah, and we would need you. And, and, meetings. And we're not even out of the meetings, <laughs> but like you could do more. Like we need someone who cares to the degree that you do. Uh, and in fact, you can get your needs met, which you're, you'll be aware of. 
and their needs met if you have a deeper understanding of why they are asking the type of questions that they are asking. Um, and so when I've worked with people in the workplace, I find that the six needs, especially when you're working with people beneath you, are it's just it's such a useful framework because you realize it's never about the specifics of the question that they're asking. They have some sort of emotion that they need to feel satisfied and they just might be accomplishing it in a way that is, in your opinion, destructive to the, the team. Anything That's else? Interesting. I've never been a middle manager, so it's interesting. I'm just trying to think of our own team. I don't think I've ever encountered someone that I felt like was trying to insubordinate my authority totally totally but i can imagine someone and i mean we have team members that ask a lot of questions right that, hey is this is this the right way is this the right way and you this team member is driven oh, no, by exactly certainty about. this yeah, team yeah. member is certainty and doesn't want to do it wrong and needs and so sometimes what i will say to this particular team member is uh i trust you completely it's totally okay to mess this up you know i will like I give them permission i, I give them okay preemptive so, permission to make mistakes yeah her fear she asks a lot of questions how how could i view them as insubordinate like maybe she's slowing things down well, forget she yeah, does slow yeah things forget down. forget that it's it doesn't even necessarily need to be insubordinate the point is that her question is not just about that thing it yes. is well, it she's is, terrified of making a mistake yes and so she slows projects down with that yeah and what you're saying you do is you tell her, you have my permission to make a mistake. Yeah. I will not be upset with you, which is actually what she's trying to avoid, mm -hmm. is not screwing up the website. And it's I'm very careful that if there is a mistake to be like, totally cool, mm. all good. I appreciate you getting this done so quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so understanding the need that is driving the question is going to help you come up with a creative solution to, to satisfy that need and, and likely reduce those questions. Cool. Cool. Anything else? That's all I had. That's all we have. So I know that we've had a number of patrons that have, have asked questions. So hopefully we'll get to some in the backlog. Uh, and I imagine that you, you grabbed mostly patron questions in this one. Yeah, like 75%. Yeah, yeah. Justin is a patron lover. So anyways, thank you guys so much. If you want to join our Patreon, we'll have a link in the description. We're on two podcasts a month, yep. right? $600. What's our Patreon at now? It's like 650 last I saw. I didn't check when I checked last. But... Okay. But if it gets to $900 a month, then that gives us one every 10 days. Yep. One every, one every 10, 10 days, days so. I think. So yeah, so that's our next goal. Either way, we love doing this. We're happy to be here. It's a crazy world and there's a lot to say every time. I skipped half the things Too that much, I had written yeah. down. Yeah. So we do have more to say if you want to contribute. Either way, we thank our patrons. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Oh yeah, I'll, I'm going to plug Charity Water. If you guys want to join Charity Water, we're going to do the big launch on Monday. Do we have the link ready? Will it be Charitywater.org slash charisma. It's going to be down there. Um, we're donating and... Yeah, I hope, hope you guys do too. Or just, you know, help someone in any way. I don't, you don't have to join our, our thing. That's all. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.